70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Bonjour, je m'appelle Aram Kim. Je travaille en tant qu'interprète traductrice et vis actuellement entre Paris et Séoul. Alors, mes premiers souvenirs avec Hi, my name is Aram Kim and I'm an interpreter working in Seoul and Paris. My ties with KBS World Radio date back to 2005. Back then, I was living in France and always felt homesick and thirsty for content from Korea. That is why I started to tune in to KBS World Radio to catch up with the news from home and learn about various areas of the society I wasn't familiar with. It also helped me see Korea from a more objective perspective and better understand the cultural differences between Korea and France. Aussi, c'était très intéressant de découvrir les différentes façons de penser entre les Français et les Coréens sur certains sujets. 70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. Hello, it is Thursday, the 2nd of February, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon jang South Korea and the U.S. carried out the first combined air drills of the year as North Korea threatened the toughest reaction to increased military cooperation between the Allies. We'll have more details in news briefings shortly, and then we'll discuss the situation on the peninsula further for our in-depth, including mounting evidence of a military parade being prepared by North Korea. And coming up for Explore Korea, we'll be finding out about Chalong County, which borders North Korea, and a history and culture park located there. We have all that and more on today's Korea 24. South Korea and the United States have revealed that the two countries held combined air drills over the Korean Peninsula on Wednesday, involving U.S. strategic assets, such as B-1B strategic bombers. It was the first joint air drills over the year over South Korean waters. For more on this story and our other headlines from today, I'm joined in the studio by KBS World Radio news editor Daniel Che. Daniel, hello. Hello there, Jungle. Now, this comes after the U.S. defense chief earlier this week warned that there would be more joint military exercises, comments which North Korea slammed today as well, We'll get to that in a bit, but first, can you tell us about the latest drills announced today? Sure thing, Jango. On Wednesday, over Korea's western waters, the B-1B strategic bomber, F-22 and F-35B stealth fighters from the U.S., as well as South Korea's F-35A stealth fighters, took to the skies for this joint exercises. The ministry said the combined air drills show America's will and capabilities to provide strong and credible extended deterrence against North Korea's nuclear and missile threats. The drills were in line with agreements reached during the bilateral summit and defense ministry-level security consultative meeting last year, during which the two sides agreed to deploy U.S. strategic assets in a timely and coordinated manner. And as I mentioned, there has been some aggressive comments from North Korea today over increasing South Korea-U.S. military cooperation. Uh, Can you tell us more? 
That's right. That's uh, the usual response we expect from expect from North Korea. North Korea's foreign ministry said on Thursday the reckless military confrontational maneuvers and hostile acts of the U.S. push the situation on the peninsula to an extreme red line and threaten to turn the peninsula into a more critical war zone. These are words coming from um, a statement issued by an unnamed ministry spokesperson, which was carried by the state news agency KCNA. It said Pyongyang was not interested in dialogue as long as Washington pursues hostile policies. Meanwhile, South Korea's foreign minister Park Jin met with ambassadors from UNSC member states to discuss the Korean Peninsula issues. Can you share with us what was discussed? Well, Minister Park arrived in the states on Wednesday and invited the ambassadors to a luncheon in New York. He explained the UN government's goal to make South Korea a global pivotal state and its commitment to contributing to global freedom, peace and prosperity. South's top diplomat specifically called on the UNSC to take strong response measures against North Korea's repeated resolution violations. The minister also stressed the need for thorough reinforcement of UNSC resolutions in order to lead the regime to the negotiating table. Park asked for support from member states for South's bid to secure non-permanent membership on the council for the 2024-2025 period. Yes, we'll discuss the tensions on the peninsula further for our in-depth today later in the show. Let's turn now to some more concerning economic data coming out of South Korea. The nation's consumer prices rose over 5% in January. And in fact, the growth pace accelerated for the first time in three months. Daniel, can you break down the figures for us? A closer look at the numbers reveal that Statistics Korea on Thursday said the consumer price index stood at 110.11, up 5.2% on year, a rise of 0.2 percentage points from the 5% previous month. It's the first on-month acceleration in three months. Consumer prices are slowly stabilizing since peaking at 6.3% in July, but remaining the 5% range for the ninth straight month since last May. The prices of electricity, gas and water soared 28.3% on-year, the biggest spike since 2010 when collection of related data first began for Korea. The prices of industrial goods gained 6%. Prices of agricultural, livestock and fisheries products rose 1.1%. Core inflation, which excludes volatile food and oil prices, jumped 5% on-year. This is the highest since February 2009. Meanwhile, South Korea's finance minister Chu Kyung-ho has assessed the international financial market to be stable after the U.S. Federal Reserve raised its key rate by a quarter of a percentage point on Wednesday. The finance chief's assessment was presented in a meeting with the nation's central banker and the chiefs of the country's financial authorities to review the Fed's recent rate hike and check the financial market. On Wednesday, the Fed raised its benchmark short-term interest rate by 0.25 percentage points, slowing down the pace of hikes after a 50 basis point increase in December. There's been four straight jumps of 75 basis points, part of ongoing efforts to rein in high inflation, of course. She said the as the Fed dialed down its rate hike, the, goal, the global financial market market remained stable overnight. The minister said the local financial market also appears to be showing signs of ease volatility thanks to government market stabilization efforts and expectations of a slowdown in global monetary tightening moves. Still, he pointed out uncertainties in the local economy persist due to sluggish exports with inflation expected to remain high. Chu vowed to strengthen monitoring of the market and pursue an optimal combination of policies. Fetcher Jerome Powell said in a press conference that inflation has eased but remains elevated, hinting at further hikes. The Bank of Korea's benchmark rate is now 1.25 percentage points lower than the Fed's. 
Let's turn now to the National Assembly, where the February extraordinary session began today, Thursday. Uh, what can we expect from the session set to run for 27 days until the end of the month? Well, from next week, a three-day interpolation session covering politics, foreign affairs and unification security issues on Monday, the economy on Tuesday, education, social and cultural issues on Wednesday. The head of the main opposition Democratic Party will deliver a speech on February 13th and addressed by the chair of the ruling People Power Party the following day. Expect clashes and confrontations between rival parties over investigation by the prosecution into corruption allegations against DP Chair Lee Jae-myung. Meanwhile, the main opposition bloc is pushing for a special probe into alleged stock manipulation involving First Lady Kim Gun-hee, as well as impeachment of Interior Minister Lee Sang-min over the Itaewon crowd crush. In other news, chunsae is a very common term you'll hear when there are stories about real estate in Korea. Uh, those looking to go for rental properties with the lump sum deposits unique to Korea should take note now, though, from May, they will only be protected through insurance if the amount is less than 90% of the property's value. Can you tell us more? Well, this is coming from the Land Ministry and related agencies on Thursday. The housing price-to-deposit ratio for the Korea Housing and Urban Guarantee Corporation's insurance eligibility will be lowered from 100% to 90 The measure comes in the wake of increasing Jeonse fraud in Korea. In these cases, landlords lacking sufficient capital offer rental agreements with lump sum deposits equivalent to the property's full value for hundreds, even thousands of units, and then bail to return the deposit to tenants. The Villa King case has been making headlines in recent months. His sudden death wreaked havoc on deposit returns for those renting one of his 1,139 units. The average house to the average housing price to deposit ratio was 98% as of last year out of 237,800 housing units subscribed to the guarantee insurance, 24% surpassed the 90% ratio. And finally, a Seoul court has ruled in favor of the U.S. tech giant Apple in a damages suit filed by domestic iPhone users, alleging that the company attempted to compel them to purchase new models by deliberately limiting the performance of older ones. Can you tell us more? Well, on Thursday, the Seoul Central District Court ruled against over 9,800 consumers. They were left without a detailed explanation for the verdict while being ordered to cover all legal expenses. The long-running scandal some would dub Battery Gate dates back to late 2017. After such allegations surfaced online in December that year, Apple acknowledged and apologized for deliberate performance throttling. Here's something that irked consumers. Apple at first denied purposely slowing down iPhone batteries and then later announced it did so to preserve battery life and argued that the measure was not aimed at getting users to buy new ones, emphasizing it was not a part of a planned strategy. Class action suits were filed around the world against Apple. In South Korea, a total of over 62,000 users each sought 200,001 in compensation, alleging their iPhone handsets suffered a malfunction after an update. The affected handsets are known to be iPhone 6 and iPhone 7 models. We'll wrap it up there for our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. Thank you so much for having me. Speculation is mounting that North Korea is preparing a military parade to take place soon. Vehicles and planes have been spotted gathering at a Pyongyang airport 
and thousands of troops were seen on the move as well. Observers are bracing for additional provocations in the meantime. And South Korea and the US are also stepping up cooperation and military exercises which the North has protested. To discuss some of these latest developments related to North Korea today, we have joining us on the line now Brian Myers, Professor of International Studies at Dongsa University and a leading North Korea expert. Professor Myers, thank you for your time today. Sure thing. So, Professor, let us start with that speculation of that parade. The Voice of America uh, reported on Wednesday, uh, citing satellite imagery that Planes and vehicles have been spotted gathering at the Sunan International Airport, uh, usual movement before a parade. VOA also reported last month that 10,000 North Korean soldiers were seen gathered at the Miram Airfield uh, for the same reason, it seems. NK News has also reported that Pyongyang seems to be preparing a parade to mark the uh, 75th anniversary of the foundation of the Korean People's Army. That's on February 8th, less than a week from now. What do you make of this speculation, Professor? Why would Pyongyang want to hold another parade now? Well, it really is the 75th anniversary of the foundation of the Korean People's Army. Uh, as NK News reported, um, they've been able to see from the air that, that people are forming the two numerals, 7 and 5. So uh, I think the speculation in this case is justified. You know, military parades are, are the oldest form of propaganda in history. They go back thousands of years. And they're always meant to unite people in pride behind their military, their state. And in modern times, they serve an outward purpose, too, by intimidating enemies with uh, the size of the weapons on display and so on. Now, these goals are served by North Korean parades, too. But in this case, the stakes are especially high because the military is the only sector that is functioning well, that's internationally respected. So I think it's only natural for for Kim Jong-un to want to focus public attention on it in the middle of a, a pandemic and a very cold winter. And these are happy spectacles for average people, as we know from defectors. And parades give Kim, I think, a relatively cheap and safe way of reminding the Americans that while they may be focusing on Ukraine, uh, the North Korean threat is not going away. It's actually getting more and more formidable. Now, I think both inside and outside North Korea uh, people are going to be curious about the largest or newest uh, missiles on display. I'm curious to see uh, what they do with drones, if there are drones on display. But I think we should also be paying attention to the slogans, uh, the rhetoric, the things around the weapons, because they can give us insight uh, into the greater context. OK, so as we said, February 8th marks the 75th anniversary of the foundation of the Korean People's Army. Uh, the 81st birth anniversary of Kim Jong-un's late father, Kim Jong-il falls on February 16th as well. Because of these anniversaries and South Korea and the US increasing military cooperation, some observers are saying that we should brace for significant provocations by the regime this month as well, such as uh, more missile tests and, of course, we're all bracing for that seventh nuclear test as well. Professor, what do you think? Do you think these are reasons enough for North Korea to carry out such a provocation? Well, that's always the question, isn't it? Will the North Koreans try to commemorate this or that anniversary with a provocation? But there are important anniversaries throughout the year. You know, June, July is the time for commemorating the Korean War. September is when they celebrate the party and so on. And North Korea's enemies stage uh, multiple exercises every year. So no matter when a missile is launched, 
you can always assert some plausible connection to the calendar. But I think missile launches and nuclear tests uh, are more likely to be dictated by the nuclear program's own timetable, as well as by things like weather conditions. So I don't firmly expect uh, something provocative to happen this month, but I wouldn't be surprised either. Right, so you don't expect it, but uh, you wouldn't be surprised surprised. either way, of course. Okay. Uh, Let's move on to the subject of the increased military cooperation between South Korea and the US now. On Tuesday, defence chiefs of uh, South Korea and the US met in Seoul, and the US Defence Secretary Lloyd Austin said uh, that there'll be more frequent deployment of US strategic assets, such as advanced stealth jets and aircraft carriers to Korea. The two also agreed on more joint military training and exercises this year. And in fact, today... Uh, it was reported that the first combined air drills of the year were carried out on Wednesday involving U.S. strategic assets such as the B-1B strategic bomber as well as the F-22 and F-35B stealth fighters. Uh, how significant do you think uh, these sorts of uh, exercises are? How do you, significant do you think more South Korea-U.S. military cooperation is for the tensions on the Korean Peninsula? Well, I, of course, the, uh, these demonstrations and the remarks that Austin made are intended mainly for North Korean consumption as a signal that America is by no means so focused on the conflict in Europe as to let down its guard in this part of the world. But I also suspect the Americans are trying to reassure the South Koreans that they will always be well protected and they needn't uh, dream of having their own nuclear program. Because as you know, uh, the discussion of the need for South Korea to, quote unquote, share American nuclear assets flared up here recently, uh, not least because of President Yoon's remarks. And uh, opinion polls seem to show a consensus that South Korea should develop its own nukes. Now, I don't believe there is a real consensus. I think some people on the left want uh, nukes for anti-American reasons, and some people on the right want them for anti-Chungyang reasons. And most people in between just don't think of the issue unless Uh, pollsters call them up and ask about it. But some people in Washington seem to think the South Korean public is deeply worried about its security. So, again, I think this talk of strategic assets and these shows of, uh, you know, strategic asset sharing are aimed at both sides of the DMZ. Mm. Well, North Korea has responded. They issued a statement today, Thursday, saying that it would take the, quote-unquote, toughest reaction to military pressure from the U.S., adding that The U.S. uh, has been driving the security situation on the peninsula towards an extreme red line. How seriously do you think North takes these moves by the U.S. and South Korea? Uh, How do you think they'll react? Well, uh, I don't think uh, the North Koreans are likely to overreact to this, um, simply because uh, the situation is not all that desperate for North Korea at the moment. I mean, sure, and ostensibly... A uh, conservative government has taken power in Seoul, and President Yoon has made the occasional tough remark, and the Americans are showing solidarity. But um, the South Korean government has made a lot of soft-line remarks, too, uh, and there are plenty of officials in the State Department who favor an accommodationist approach to Pyongyang, as the North Koreans are well aware. So it's not like Kim Jong-un thinks that his back is up against the wall and he's exhausted all peaceful options of getting his way. I think we may indeed see a missile launch or a small-scale provocation of some other sort. But I don't think Kim Jong-un has anything to gain from really rattling the saber again like he did uh, almost exactly 10 years ago 
in that belligerent uh, spring of 2013, just after Park and Head took over. Uh, I think, um, you know, actually taking any any provocative measures at this point is not going to serve Kim's interests very much. Right. So you're saying it's more rhetoric for now, and it uh, there doesn't seem to be a reason for Kim to want to lead to significant uh, prov- provocative action. Right. Well, in the meantime, South Korea, the US and Japan also jointly urged North Korea to abandon its nuclear program and stop its uh, missile provocations at a UN conference on disarmament. However, a North Korean diplomat flatly rejected the joint call by the three nations, denouncing it as provocative. The envoy added that the regime will never give up its nuclear weapons first and that there can be no negotiation on that matter. If there's uh, no negotiation on that matter... What uh, would the next step be for the international community? Well, there's really very little that uh, that the international community can do. I, I, I don't think that's hot air on the part of the North Koreans. I think they're perfectly sincere that they are not going to give up their nuclear weapons. Uh, you know, as I said before on the show, the North Koreans cannot denuclearize because that would leave the country without any unifying or legitimizing endeavor. And indeed, without any reason to go on existing as a separate Korea, there's no place on the peninsula for another economy-centric Korea. We have one already, and Kim Jong-un knows this. So unfortunately for us, he must stay on the military first or nuclear road if his regime is to maintain popular support, because even a dictatorship needs uh, legitimacy and support. So in answer to your question, what is the next step? I really don't know what it it would be except uh, further tightening sanctions and, and trying uh, trying to bring the regime down because there's certainly no way that we're going to persuade it to uh, commit political suicide. Uh, there was another interesting comment from North Korea this week. Uh, on Monday, President Yoon Sung-yeol met with the head of the uh, North Atlantic Treaty Organization at the Yongsan office, uh, exchanging opinions on issues such as Uh, relations between South Korea and NATO, as well as Seoul's Indo-Pacific strategy and the North Korea nuclear issue. North Korea, however, criticised the NATO Secretary-General's visit as a, quote-unquote, prelude to war, and it's a call for the need of an... uh, and that it's a call for a need uh, for the Asian version of NATO. That's uh, that's what the NATO Secretary-General... As purpose for coming to Korea was. What do you make of uh, North Korea's reaction, and what role does NATO play in the situation on the peninsula? Well, you know, I understand North Korea's reaction, and I don't think the North Koreans are the only people who feel a little bit uneasy by by this kind of talk. And uh, at most, as for the, what role uh, NATO could play, at most, I think that by raising the possibility of closer cooperation. Uh, between South Korea and NATO, uh, Washington and Seoul might be able to put more pressure on China and Russia to adhere to sanctions on North Korea. Because as you know, the Chinese and Russians have not been taking those sanctions very seriously. So playing the NATO card uh, or playing the card of some kind of larger uh, alliance could be one way for the Americans and South Koreans to say to Xi and Putin, look, either you rein in North Korea or we're going to really make you feel encircled by NATO. But this is a bit like the nuclear sharing talk, because there's no real public support here for bringing South Korea militarily closer either to NATO or to Japan. 
the simple reason being that average people are just not that concerned about North Korea's nuclear program, and they really don't want South Korea drawn into America's conflicts elsewhere in the world. Okay, and finally, let's look ahead now. Uh, Amid these uh, recent tensions uh, with North Korea expressing uh, their opposition to U.S. and South Korea uh, increasing their military cooperation. Uh, there's also the parade that is being prepared. But at the same time, it has been a relatively quiet couple of weeks uh, from North Korea. Uh, no major provocations, although uh, there was the uh, drone incursion, of course, in uh, early January. What sort of year do you think uh, we're going to have on the Korean Peninsula looking ahead uh, what kind of year do you think? Uh, will it be full of tension or is there any room for any sorts of uh, negotiations or any easing of tensions? Well, I think there's more potential for at least superficial improvement uh, in both the inter-Korean relationship and the relationship between Washington and Pyongyang than there is uh, potential for a drastic worsening of relations. Uh, and and I, I always look at um, look at North Korean developments in the peninsular context. I think we need to look at what's going on here as well. And the two South Korean parties, uh, the main parties, are not nearly as far apart on the issue of North Korea as their voters have been led to believe. And I expect the ruling party, which many people in the West, I think, wrongly perceive as hardline, I, I expect the ruling party to shift to the left as it tries to reach a consensus with the Minju party in regard to constitutional revision and electoral reform. And also, as things stand now, uh, An Chol Su seems likely to become the next chairman of the ruling party. And An is anything but a hardliner in regard to North Korea. And, in, you know, when he was running for president, he was making very soft line noises. So I would expect uh, the ruling party and the uh, unit administration to uh, make more soft line noises this year that Kim Jong-un might well respond to. And as for the Americans, you know, no matter how often the North Koreans disappoint them, and no matter how often the Americans disappoint the North Koreans, they always seem to come back to the table at some point, if only to see uh, what the other side has to offer. They can't afford to close the door on dialogue for good. So I'm cautiously optimistic. On that note, we'll leave it there. We'll be speaking to Professor Brian Myers from Dongsa University. Thank you once again for your time today. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index rose 19.08 points, or 0.78% on Thursday, to close the day at 2,468.88. The Tekevi Kosdaq also rose, gaining 13.66 points, or 1.82%, to close at 764.62. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 11.01 against the dollar, closing the day at 1,222.31. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We continue on now to Korea Trending, our daily segment, where we take a look at some of the other news headlines that have been trending today. And for that, we have Diane Yu, one of our contributors for this segment, joining us in the studio now. Diane, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, Django. It's good to see you. Okay, so what topics do you have for us today? 
First, we'll talk about what led to one household in Daegu being charged with a water bill worth thousands of dollars. Next, we'll find out which island in Korea has resurfaced after 50 years. Then we'll finish today's Korea trending on how a tiny radioactive capsule that was reported missing was somehow eventually found in Australia's enormous outback. Okay, so an interesting array of stories today. <laughs> yes. uh, tell us more about that first one. These days, we've been hearing that utility bills, including gas, water, electricity, have gotten bigger, putting more strain on South Korean households' finances. Mm. However, I suppose no one can beat this one household in the Tarsa district of Daegu, North Gyeongsang province, as the resident was charged with a water bill worth about 6.5 million won, or 5,300 US dollars. The amount of water used in that household was calculated to be over 1,100 tons. This is a huge amount compared to the average amount of tap water used per month in an apartment, which ranges from 30 to 40 tons. Wow, so 1,100 mm-hmm. tons. That's a lot of water. Right. It's just a regular household as well, I yeah. believe, and a very hefty bill, 6.5 million won. <laughs> yes. How was uh, someone able to use so much water? Well, according to an informant, a hot water hose that connects to the washing machine came loose, resulting in a leak. The apartment was not occupied for a while, but when the resident returned, the leak was discovered. Mm. It has not been confirmed whether the bill covers just December last year or is an accumulation of several months. Uh, Daegu Waterworks believes that looking at the amount of water used, the resident may have been away from their home for weeks to one month, two weeks to one month. But depending on the strength of the leaked water, it's possible that they were away for a longer period of time. Right, so this was just an accident then. A water hose attached to a washing machine came loose Mm -hmm. and uh, sprung a leak. And it went unnoticed for several weeks. Uh, A bit of a nightmare scenario. So then what happened? Did the person have to pay that full bill or 6.5 million won? Well, it's known that representatives of the apartment residents held a meeting last month to allow the resident to pay their water bill in 12 installments. An official from the apartment management office said it's true that the water bill was high, but didn't give more details as it's the resident's private information. And regarding the water bill, an official from Tegu Waterworks said, quote, if the water leaks from a pipe that is underground or in a wall, the bill can be reduced. But if the leak comes from above the ground in a household, the customer must take responsibility, end quote. So in order to prevent this huge utility bill from coming at your door after leaving the house for a while, you must turn off the water valve, set your thermostat to reduce energy use, and unplug all small appliances. Wow, so there was nothing really he could do. I mean, even if it is paid in 12 installments throughout the year, it is still a very sizable uh, bill. Right. The resident, I'm sure, must have been upset. I guess while most of us double-check the gas and electricity mm-hmm. uh, is turned off when we leave the house, mm-hmm. we don't really check taps, especially ones behind uh, no. washing machines. Uh, but I guess that is something we should check, especially if we are leaving the house for uh, a prolonged period of time. Right, now we know. Yes, indeed. <laughs> OK, let's talk about the second story of the day now. What do you have for us? An island that disappeared 50 years ago in Seoul has returned. Cheja Island, or Cheja-do in Korean, vanished while being used as dredged material for construction back in the 1970s. It's an island that has been deliberately removed by humans, but nature has recreated it on its own, becoming a valuable resting place for migratory birds. If you walk about 300 meters from Oksu Station's Han River Park entrance, you can see the wetland under the pillars of the Gangbyeon Expressway. 
Wow, I've heard about islands disappearing with the rising sea levels, but not one that has reappeared,、right. especially in the middle of a busy city.、Uh, quite remarkable.、Mm-hmm. Can you tell us more about the history of this island then? The history of Chaoja Island runs deep. Like Yoido, it was called Hajungdo, meaning an island in the middle of a river. With a long and rich history, the island had various names called by people. Some people called it Oksudong Island because it's located near the Oksu area, and some called it Tumopo because it was a place where two different rivers met. With an area of 118,000 square meters, it was an island with fields for harvesting and houses in the 1930s with people actually living there. Then in the 1960s, it was crowded with people playing in the water in the summer and sledding in the winter. It was like an amusement park for Seoul citizens. <laughs> Then in the 1970s, the island disappeared. As the real estate construction boom began, construction companies scooped up soil and sand from the island and used it to build apartments in the Apgujang neighborhood right across the river. And after that, the island just disappeared. Yes, but now the island has reemerged. It's still very shallow, but it looks.、Uh... More like actually the bank of a river、yeah. uh, for now, but it is an island and it is slowly growing.、Mm-hmm. It seems, and it's quite fitting that we're talking about this story now, as today is. Understand a special day relating to the island, right? Yes, today is World Wetlands Day. Wetlands are a precious natural ecosystem as they provide habitats for a variety of life, including aquatic plants, fish, and birds. They also solve floods by absorbing water and help during drought beca- by becoming an important water source. In order to reaffirm the protection and love for wetlands, scientists around the world gather to celebrate the day every February second. And Chaoja Island is also a wetland, along with the Famous Upo Wetland and Nakdong River Basin, which has been designated as a Ramsar Wetland. This means that it has been internationally recognized as an area that needs protection and con- conservation. Hopefully, Chaoja Island can welcome different kinds of migratory birds and contribute to biodiversity in Seoul City. Happy World Wetlands Day! <laughs> Indeed, yes. <laughs> yes. Happy World Wetlands, Wetlands Day, Day to you too.、Uh, let's、uh, go over to our last story now. What else has been trending? Around a week ago, Australian firefighters started to search for a small radioactive capsule believed to have fallen from a truck on a remote highway in Western Australia. And just yesterday, on February 1st, authorities announced that they have found the capsule about 50 kilometers south of a small town called Newman. Australia's fire department searched for the capsule by sweeping the entire 1,400 kilometer along Great Northern Highway for six days. Authorities found the capsule about two meters away from the roadside using special equipment that detects radiation. In a press conference on Wednesday local time, Emergency Services Minister Stephen Dawson said, quote, "We found a needle in a haystack, and now Western Australians will have will be able to sleep comfortably tonight." End quote. That is pretty incredible. I understand that、uh, when the news of the missing radioactive capsule got out, people were worried about the exposure, especially because、uh, they thought it was going to be so difficult to find, as、mm-hmm. it is so small. Right. The capsule re-、uh, recovered that day is a silver cylinder with a diameter of six millimeters and a length of eight millimeters. To put that into perspective, it's smaller than a coin. It contains a small amount of the highly radioactive metal cesium-137. According to the Australian health authorities, an hour of exposure within a one meter radius of the capsule is equivalent to ten X-rays. So the authorities. 
employees warned to stay at least five meters away from the capsule as exposure to cesium can cause skin burns and long-term exposure can cause cancer. However, thankfully so far, no injuries have been reported to the authorities and it is unlikely there will be contamination in the area. Yes, thankfully it was by a remote highway, meaning mm-hmm. there was a minimal chance that a person was just going to walk by. Right. But still, you never know. Uh, but considering how potentially dangerous this item was, how was the capsule misplaced in the first place? The capsule is believed to have been lost two to three weeks ago. What we know is that a truck picked up a package containing the capsule from a mine in Newman, Western Australia, on January 12th. The truck then spent four days on the road to Perth, a city in the southwest uh, 1,400 kilometers away. The Australian mining company Rio Tinto sent a radiation meter used in mining operation to Perth for repairs. However, when the package was unloaded on January 25th, it was discovered that the the cesium-137 capsule that should have been in the measuring device was missing. Australian authorities are now investigating how exactly the capsule got lost. Yes, thankfully for now, though, it has been found. OK, mm-hmm. we'll wrap it up there for today's Career Trending. Thank you for those stories, Diana. We'll talk to you next time. See you next time. We continue on now to our weekly segment, Explore Korea, where we discover more about the country's history, culture and travel highlights. And we do that with the help of our special contributors, or explorers, as we like to call them. This week, it's our travel explorer who has joined us in the studio, Hannah Roberts. Hannah, hello. It's good to see you. Always good to be here. Yes, and Hannah, I understand that you have also been working as a professional tour guide in Korea as well. I don't think we've uh, mentioned that before, so congratulations on that. Thank you. We can introduce you as such from now on as well. (laughs) Okay, so where are you taking us this week? Today, I'm taking us up to a uh, county of Gangwon province called Cholwon and to its history and culture park that showcases an interesting period in the county's history. Okay, so Cholon County in Gangwon Province. So start us off. What can you tell us about Cholon? Cholon is one of the most uh, northern counties in the country, bordering North Korea at the very middle point of the border. Mm. Its modern history is quite rocky, having been split down the middle in 1945, creating two separate Cholon counties, one on each side of the border and changing hands multiple times during the Korean War. It was during that time also that it was the stage for the White Horse Battle, during which a particular ridge was fought over for 10 days and changed hands 24 times within that very short Mm, period. Many visitors to Korea probably also know of the third tunnel that we can visit in popular tours to the DMZ that leave from Seoul, but the second tunnel was discovered in Cholwon, which was uh, in 1975. Right, so it's about the heart of one of the most uh, tumultuous periods in modern Korean history, oh, yeah. this region then. Uh, but I understand that it also had an interesting history before that as well. Yes, before all of that, Choron was was a, a very important thoroughfare for people going to visit uh, Mount Kungang and became a quite prosperous area to, thanks to all the people moving through the town. Mount Kumgang is a culturally significant mountain, with most, if not all, artists of note from the Chosun era making a pilgrimage there at least once in their lifetime, Mm. as well as having hundreds and thousands of artworks, be they poems or paintings, created about it. Mm. You could say that the mountain is a muse of uh, 
all Korean artists of old. And so it's no wonder that Cholwon became such a successful area, playing stopover and shopping destination for people on their way to and from the mountain. I see. So it's had quite a history then. Uh, so then that leads us up to the history and culture park that you mentioned earlier. I'm guessing you can learn more about the history of the region there. But uh, what else is there? What can visitors check out? The Chorwon History and Culture Park has actually reconstructed the town's buildings as they were around 100 years ago. Mm. Uh, it opened only recently and the park allows guests to walk through the town and buildings from 1930s Chorwon. So before all of the tumultuous history right, happened. Okay. Uh, it's Chorwon in its uh, in its prime, you know. Right. Um, so as well as that, you can visit an exhibition hall with uh, historical artefacts on display alongside testimonial videos from people who actually lived in Chorwon at that time. Mm. The buildings that have been recreated have been done so to real size thanks to old photographs of the town that have been preserved. Uh, those buildings include a pharmacy, a dressmakers and a bank, as well as a post office, tea house and even a cinema where it's said that some of the best performers of the time made their debuts. Right. You can also see what Charwon train station was like 100 years ago and even catch the monorail from the station to a nearby mountain, which t- gives visitors a great view of the surrounding area and even across to the lands of North Korea in the distance. Right, so it's almost like you can be transported back in time and placed in this uh, town. It sounds like it'll be quite the experience. Definitely, yeah. And the most striking thing to me about this place is that it is very clearly from a time of Japanese colonialisation, of course. Right. um, With, you know, the buildings that are made with the light walls and the dark wood and especially the, the red brick buildings, such as the doctor's office and the train station. There are lots of history parks and folk villages across the country that showcase the Joseon era and even the Shilla and Baekje eras very well. But we don't usually see colonial era Korea on display like this. Right. And it's usually also not promoted so strongly to tourists, people right. visiting Korea, I find. So I really enjoy this park because it, it you know, it's the efforts of Charwon to show their prosperous history despite that backdrop of that period. Interesting. So while the colonial era was, of course, a very painful period for Korea, it still was a part of the nation's history. So it's interesting to see this uh, park reflect that. Uh, I know there is another location in Korea that you wanted to mention briefly today where you can see this era of Korea's history, right? Yes, it's actually probably the most popular area to experience this period of time Mm. in Korea's history, and that's the open port area in Incheon. The Incheon open port opened in 1883, just six years after the Japan-Korea Treaty, Mm. and it played home to the Japanese consulate as well as several branches of a Japanese bank, as well as uh, Japanese mail and shipping incorporated. And nowadays, several of the buildings, which are the original structures, have been turned into museums showing the history of the area through photos, postcards and artefacts. And one of these buildings is the Jemulpo Social Club, which is a club that was established in 1901 for foreigners in Korea. And then other areas have been turned into art spaces, such as the Incheon Art Platform, which houses artist studios, galleries and interactive art installations. It's a very well-preserved area, I think, that showcases that time in history really well, Mm. from, you know, the architecture to objects of daily use even. Right, we talked about the Incheon port a few years back, if I remember correctly, Uh, but it's good to talk about it again, especially in comparison to the uh, Charwon History Mm. and Culture Park. 
let's wrap up with some of the uh, travel details then. First, how do you get to Choron and the park? So Choron is a bit difficult to get to, uh, but the best way to get there on public transport from Seoul is to take an intercity bus from Express Bus Terminal and then take a local bus in Choron to the to nearby the park and then walk from the bus. But that route is going to take you nearly four hours. Wow, okay. So uh, I recommend, if you can, uh, going by car, which will take you about two and a half hours from central Seoul. The good news, however, is that when you arrive at the park, it is free entry for everyone and it's open every day except Tuesday from nine till five. Or if you're visiting between March and November, it's open until six o'clock. Okay, so it's quite tricky and lengthy to go via public transport from Seoul, but uh, at least it's free. Yes. Okay. (laughs) And how about the Incheon Port area for those who want to check it out? To go from Seoul, you can simply take subway line one all the way to the last stop, which is Incheon Station, and leave at exit one. When you leave exit one, there are lots of signs pointing you in the direction of you know, Chinatown and the open port area. Mm. And they're just a very short walk from the subway. The subway takes about one hour from central Seoul. But if you want to drive, it'll take just over an hour and a half. Uh, a lot of the buildings are free to enter. And you can even book a guided tour by an Incheon cultural expert to get a deeper understanding of the area and its history. Okay, great. Well, Hannah, thank you for telling us all about Chanwan and its history and culture park, as well as uh, Incheon Open Port 2 as a bonus. Uh, That's where we'll wrap it up, Hannah. Take care, and we'll see you again soon. See you next time. Did you enjoy this segment? You can discover more segments like this throughout the week on Korea 24. On Monday, we bring you news from the world of sports around the peninsula. Then on Tuesday, notable guests from various fields join us and give us insight into their lives and work. Are you a fan of books? Then tune in on Wednesday for Korea Book Club, where our book critic helps us unpack works by Korean authors or written on Korea. Go on an adventure with us every Thursday as we take a look at Korea's hidden gems with Explore Korea. And on Friday, listen to what our film critics have to say about the latest movie releases from both home and abroad. We have all that you need, all in one place, on Korea 24. We finish up the show as usual with our closing segment, Morning Edition Preview, where we take a look at some interesting features or reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, namely the Korea Times and the Korea Herald. And for that, our staff editor, Richard Larkin, has joined us now in the studio. Richard, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. Good to see you, too. Okay. so what's caught your eye first for tomorrow? Well, Korean schools, cultural communities and organisations around the world have been given some good news. That's according to Kim Hae-yeon's article in the Life and Style section of the Korea Herald. That's because the Overseas Koreans Foundation, which is run by the South Korean government, has announced that it will provide traditional instruments, costumes and more to these institutions. All they would need to do is apply through the foundation's website. Wow, that sounds great. Uh, Did the foundation explain why it will provide these uh, cultural items? It's part of a project to help Koreans abroad keep in touch with traditional music, arts and culture, and also to bridge the gap between generations through cultural exchanges. For traditional instruments, different types of drums are available, such as the janggu. And for clothing, costumes for buche chum, which is a type of Korean fan dance, and handbook sets are available for children and adults. Okay, so it's quite a big list of items that these... uh institutions can use to help promote Korean culture then. That's true. There are also a number of traditional folk games available. Any traditional item that is not already on the list of things you can apply for can be requested. 
For any institutions who would like to apply for these items, applications can be found at the organization's website, korean.net. Applications will be accepted until February 21st. I mean, I think it sounds great. These sorts of items are not really available uh, in these uh, other countries, uh, mostly right. in uh, Korea. So these sorts of institutions and communities would normally have to spend money to ship them over, mm. which can get very costly. Uh, so this could be a very valuable helping hand for uh, Korean communities around the world looking to uh, preserve and promote Korean culture. Exactly. Okay, let's move on to our next story. What do you have for us? Next, Lee Gyuri sat down for an interview with Jin Woo Bom, the chef and CEO of a local Mexican cuisine brand. It can be found in the weekend section of the Korea Times. The chef is trying to introduce real Mexican cuisine to Koreans through his restaurants. Yes, I love uh, Mexican food. I don't know about <laughs> you, too. Richard. Yes. But uh, what started this chef to pursue this journey? Well, he first fell in love with the food when he moved to L.A. at the age of 13. At a much later time, once he completed his military service back in Korea, he decided to take a big step by moving to Mexico in 2016 to study the cuisine. Before this, Jin did not have any cooking background, but he travelled around the country and was able to study at one of the oldest and most respected culinary and hospitality schools in Mexico. According to the article, after his studies were complete, he became the first Asian chef to create a Korean-infused menu in Mexico by using kimchi. This was while he was working under the world-renowned chef, Enrique Olvera. Okay, so he brought a, a bit of Korea to <laughs> Mexico, but now he's looking to bring a bit of Mexico to Korea. So yes. why did he return to Korea, though? This was all due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Jin says that in Korea, there isn't a market for corn tortillas yet, so he decided while he was here to create a business. He added that there are a variety of menus for Mexican cuisine, and it's unfortunate that people only see the cuisine as tacos and burritos and think of them as just cheap food. So the chef is trying to change the way Korean people think about Mexican food. And there is a lot more about his journey in the article, so you can read that now. Yeah, it sounds great, uh, but I'm getting hungry just thinking about <laughs> all that Mexican food. So let's wrap things up quickly and finish up there. Richard, thank you for those stories, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. And that's all from our show today. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow. So we hope you can join us again then. I've been your host, Kwon Jang-wo. And thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye.